Hi there, and welcome to Satisfied Self Podcast, a podcast for persistent women who are trying to kick butt at life by better understanding and conquering their struggles one day at a time. I'm Caitlin, and I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker in private practice in Boston, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Satisfied Self. Welcome to episode nine of the Satisfied Self Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about social anxiety. I see a number of young women in my practice who struggle with feeling anxious in social situations and feeling like they're kind of incapable of being relaxed without turning to alcohol. So today we're going to hone in on understanding what social anxiety is, where it comes from, and maybe some things you can do to try to combat it. So before we dive into this week's uh, topic, I want to check in on last week's challenge. So last week I posed the challenge to reach out to people important in your life and invest in that connection. I recently had a weekend away with some of my friends, and one of my friends um, who attended was a close friend of mine from our first job out of college. We were really close, um, and then she had to move out of state to be uh, live closer to her family, and it got harder for us to stay in frequent contact. Seeing her uh, during the weekend away was such a treat, and it was really rejuvenating to catch up with an old friend who I don't get to see or speak to as much as I'd like to. It reminded me of how important our friendship is, um, but also how special it is that we both put in effort um, and reciprocate that effort. For me, it it can be really hard to grapple with relationships and where I feel like I'm giving more than the other person. Um, But this relationship with this friend is one that's really, truly symbiotic. We're both really able to acknowledge each other, um, acknowledge how important the relationship is. And we talked also actually this past weekend about um, reinvesting in our friendship um, to keep in closer contact, even when we're far away. As I get older, it becomes more important for me to invest in relationships that are are meaningful. And it felt really exciting to acknowledge that with um, a close friend. So that was how I tried to invest in a connection that meant something to me. And I hope that you guys um, found it interesting trying to do the same. So let's turn to today's topic of social anxiety. So social anxiety is an extremely common um, condition in the U.S. with more than 200,000 cases per year. And it's estimated that about 7% of the population suffers from some form of social anxiety um, at the present time. It occurs actually twice as often in women as in men, although a higher proportion of men seek help for social anxiety. And I find that particularly interesting, given that uh, many more women, from my perspective, seek out therapy in general than men. Um, But it seems like social anxiety is something that we are more likely to suffer alone in um, than men. So what is the difference between social anxiety and the disorder of social anxiety? So What's the difference between kind of the everyday um, light social anxiety versus something that is a diagnosable condition? Well, social anxiety in the more colloquial sense is shyness or kind of like discomfort in social situations, accompanied with some light anxiety. Um, so you're getting ready to go to a party, you, you know, you walk in, you don't see anyone you know, you might get like a pang of anxiety. That's pretty normal. Most people experience that in that situation. It's actually pretty abnormal to be able to walk into that situation and feel completely confident. Now, the disorder of social anxiety, though, is something different. 
it's, a, it's associated with fear, very high anxiety, and avoidance of social situations that en- ends up interfering with activities of daily living and being distressing to that person. There are a number of symptoms like feeling judged um, by others and therefore a kind of fear of talking to other people, um, worrying about embarrassing yourself, avoiding situations where you'll have to speak to people or have to be the center of attention. There's a lot of anxiety in the anticipation of events that bring on social anxiety um, and a lot of spending time after a social situation analyzing the way you interacted and, and kind of picking out ways in which you didn't do things perfectly and the ways that people might be judging you now. Um, and lastly, there are usually some physical symptoms involved, like shaking, sweating, like voice shaking. Um, and because these symptoms are usually visible to other people, um, they can actually end up heightening the fear of being judged by other people. So the symptoms then become a further trigger um, in and of themselves, creating kind of this vicious cycle. So as people with social anxiety disorder worry about experiencing the physical symptoms, the greater the chances are um, for them to, to develop those symptoms. Um, and so that's kind of like the, the disorder of social anxiety in kind of a very brief, quick nutshell. And much like other mental disorders, social anxiety uh, exists on a spectrum. So like I said, social, some social anxiety is normal. We're social creatures, so the possibility of being evaluated negatively or rejected by our peers threatens that, that desire that we have to be part of a social group. But if it distresses us too much, that, or so much, that it ends up interfering with our ability to do activities of daily living, that's when it kind of shifts to that side of the spectrum where it begins to become a disorder. So people with um, social anxiety disorder know that their anxiety is irrational and that it doesn't actually make kind of cognitive sense to them. But knowing something is not the same as believing or feeling it. I have conversations about this all the time with my clients. They can really easily identify kind of logically that they know and rationally that they know, you know, a thought doesn't, isn't, doesn't make sense or isn't helpful, but they can't help or it feels like they can't help but feeling that um, and believing it. So it's two different things to know something and to feel and believe something. And for that reason, social anxiety can be so frustrating for people who suffer from it. So where does it come from? Um, well, there's a number of different possibilities here. One is the, uh, there, we know that there's a part of the brain called the amygdala that's responsible for our fear responses. And some researchers believe that they, they kind of hone in on this area of the brain um, as playing a part in social anxiety. There's also um, a, pot- a potential genetic link. So there's actually, um, among first degree relatives, they have a two to six times higher chance of developing social anxiety disorder. So if a first degree relative of yours has it, you might have a higher chance of developing it yourself. Scientists are also exploring the idea that there's a heightened sensitivity to um, disapproval in some people, that that may be um, kind of physiologically or hormonally based. So there might be a biological component um, in addition to a genetic and kind of brain component. Um, And lastly, environment plays an impact here. So when we think about, for example, cultural differences, 
there are collectivist cultures like Japan or China um, where it's very heavy on um, a heavy emphasis on interdependence. Um, those types of cultures report far less social anxiety um, than the more individualist cultures do, like the U.S., where it's much more important to kind of be a unique in individuals. And even within the U.S., um, there are differences. So Asians within the U.S. report lower rates of social anxiety, um, whereas Caucasian people report the highest amounts, and Hispanic and African-American individuals kind of fall somewhere in between there. So setting, cultural background, family relationships, all of this impacts someone's experience with social anxiety as well. So it's pretty normal to experience some degree of social anxiety, like I've said, and it's also really important to figure out how to best handle it in healthy ways. So in our society, um, many social situations also tend to include alcohol, and it's not unusual for substances to be some of the first things that people turn to to help cope with social anxiety. And I see this a lot in my practice, like I mentioned um, in the intro to this episode. I see a number of young women who come in um, really struggling with their anxiety in social situations who aren't really happy with their relationship with alcohol because they end up turning to it so often um, that that becomes kind of their crutch. Um, it makes sense that a lot of people, that alcohol is something that a lot of people turn to. It's a depressant, so it can pretty effectively counteract the kind of hyperactivation that someone feels in a social setting. Um, it's socially acceptable, it's legal. Um, some people think it tastes good. Um, it will actually give you something to do with your hands. I hear that a lot. It gives you, you know, you can hold something and have something there to kind of grip. Um, and it also gives you that physical effect. So there are a lot of reasons why someone would turn to alcohol in a situation where they're feeling anxious. But the downside in turning to substances is that you're never actually addressing the anxiety itself, but instead you're masking it. So you won't get better at learning how to manage it. You'll just kind of consistently feel the need to continue to turn to that substance to help you cope. And for a lot of people, this can lead to drinking more um, or more frequently than they would want to, um, which could then kind of bring on its own negative consequences. And that's actually usually when I see people in my office because their drinking um, is something that they use to help them manage anxiety. And they get to a place with their relationship with alcohol where they become so unhappy and so distressed that they reach out for help. And in our conversations, we realize that what the alcohol do is doing is helping them cope with something else that they kind of have realized that they don't really know how to cope without it. So what can you do aside from turning to substances to help manage social anxiety? Well, there's a number of things. And when we're talking about the disorder of social anxiety, um, where it be begins to affect your ability to kind of do day-to-day -day tasks where it becomes really distressing, um, there are a couple of important kind of ways to manage that anxiety. Um, and one is through talk therapy and the other is through medication. So with talk therapy, um, what's been shown to be most effective is cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure therapy. Um, it's not just kind of like facing your fears. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So with, with exposure therapy, you essentially gradually challenge the maladaptive thinking that happens around the social situations. Um, and you do that by asking people to engage in kind of what we would call exposure practices. That's essentially where they expose themselves to the situations that cause them anxiety repeatedly for long periods of time. So they kind of become desensitized and they realize that nothing bad is really going to happen. 
Um, there's actually a great New York Times Magazine article, or I'm sorry, New York Mag article about all of the kind of like wacky exposure techniques that some therapists will ask their clients to do, um, including going into a bookstore and asking for a book on farting. So I'll include that in the show notes. You can take a look at some of the really kind of wild sounding things that people um, are asked to do as part of exposure therapy. And the whole point of it is that it, it, it is kind of exaggerated to get you to go far beyond what you would ever have to do in a real social situation to realize that nothing bad is really going to happen. It's been shown to be a really effective treatment for social anxiety, and, and it can be done in both individual therapy or in group therapy. Um, the second really important thing that you can do um, if you have the social anxiety disorder um, to help manage it is medication. So there's, um, they will use either selective serotonin re-up, reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs, or SNRIs, which are um, serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So those medications have also been shown to be successful in managing social anxiety. Um, so if you're someone who's struggling with the disorder of social anxiety, those things can be really helpful. And if you're someone who's struggling with kind of the, the more um, on the other end of the spectrum kind of social anxiety, where it's maybe a little bit more expected but still kind of distressing to you, um, both groups of people can also benefit from a number of other ways of managing anxiety um, in social situations. So one um, that I do a lot with my clients is, is what I call like playing out the tape to combat catastrophizing, which is essentially assuming that the worst possible thing is going to happen. So when a client says to me, oh, well, if I do that, like, it's just going to be awful, we act I actually have them play that scenario out. I say, so talk to me about what is the worst thing that could happen in that situation. And we play it out all the way to the end. And most of the time through that process, they realize that it's not really realistic, that that, that worst case scenario that they're imagining is really it's the chances of that happening are so, so slim. Are you really going to lose your job by sneezing in a meeting? Probably not. Um, so that can be a really good cognitive exercise to take yourself through, play that tape out until the end. Um, another thing that I kind of talk about a lot on this podcast and also my practice is the um, art of acceptance. So what about accepting the fact that you might be anxious in a situation? Instead of trying to combat it, instead of be beating yourself up over experiencing it, what is it like to kind of go into a social setting saying, I know I'm going to be kind of anxious when I do this. Um, and instead of having it be, you know, taking the driver's seat, maybe kind of putting it in the back seat for a little while. I also like to talk to my clients about kind of collecting data from their own lives. So keeping track of anxiety um, as you anticipate an event versus how it actually felt afterwards. So as a client is thinking about going to an event or doing something that's going to cause them anxiety, we talk about what are you anticipating? What, how are you feeling as you kind of get ready to go to that event? And then afterwards, I kind of do debrief. Well, what, what was it actually like? Tell me, did you feel as anxious as you thought you did? Were the parts that you were dreading most, were those really the worst parts of it? And over time, I think most people realize that what you, you almost always overestimate how bad it's going to be. Um, the other thing that, that we talk about also is the art of kind of truly listening to what other people are saying in conversation and learning to ask questions. You'll be able to better ask questions if you listen, and people love to talk about themselves. So if being in a social situation and having to make small talk with strangers is distressing to you, think about 
asking them questions to get them to do the talking, but also actually listening when they're talking instead of getting caught up in what the next question you're going to ask is going to be, because you'll realize that you'll find that question in what they share with you. And a few more things that um, can be helpful tools. Um, one is visualization. So as you're gearing up to go into whatever situation it is, it's going to cause you some social anxiety. Picture yourself having having that having success in that situation. So is it a conversation you're dreading? Picture having that, that conversation go successfully. What does it look like? How do you look when you're doing it? Really play out that visualization. There's been a lot of research that shows that visual, visualization can actually create um, better performance. And the last couple things that I, I always harp on with people is using your breath and um, kind of mindfulness techniques to manage relaxation. Um, when you're going into a situation and you're getting really worked up about it, when you take longer exhales than inhales, you help activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is that rest and digest system that tells your body that you're, you're not in danger, that things are going to be okay. So use your breath. It's a really powerful tool that can really be helpful in situations that cause social anxiety. So I want to end today with a challenge. Um, if you're someone who struggles with social anxiety, Next time you're out and in conversation with someone and finding yourself getting anxious about it, I want you to try to focus on actually listening to the conversation instead of the internal monologue that you have going on. Hopefully you'll find out that carrying on conversation is much more natural when you can actually take in what the other person is saying as opposed to constantly thinking about what to say next. Really try to be conscious of that. Put that monologue turn it down a little bit, and try to dial into what the person across from you is saying. And you might find that you're able to tolerate it a little bit better. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, this is the end of episode nine of the Satisfied Self podcast. And I really hope to see you back here next week. Thanks so much.